Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Gilroy, and I use she or they pronouns. This week, I'm talking to my friend Petra, who's a wilderness instructor, uh, basically about, well, about camping, about sleeping bags and tents and tarps and how to stay warm and the fact that you need to keep your lithium batteries in your sleeping bag with you and things like that um, from the context of in case you needed to move overland in a hurry. And um, well, originally I was going to interview her about uh, both what to do in terms of when you have the right stuff to be prepared and what to do when you don't have the right stuff to be prepared. We actually ran out of time just talking about all the stuff to have in order to be prepared. So consider this the episode about going camping when you have time to gather the materials that you need, which is most of the time, right? You probably have that time right now while you're listening. Uh, Because there's one kind of interesting thing is that as bad as things seem, they're probably always going to get worse. And like, basically, this is this is the time to get ready. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts. And here's another podcast from the network jingle uh here's a jingle for another podcast on the network for some reason i can never get the nouns right in the order of the sentences when i say this particular part of the show i here's a jingle where did you get this your friendly neighborhood anarchist more of an anarchist militant people involved in social struggles than everybody else people have been waiting for some content radio show the final straw and i'm really good enough and i'm percy goodness the final straw radio.noblogs.org okay my guest this week is petra and if you could introduce yourself with your your name your pronouns and then Maybe um, any political or organizational affiliations or just what you do for a living as relates to what we're going to be talking about on the show today. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Petra LeBaron Botts, and I live in Portland, Oregon. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I try to not have any political affiliations, actually. <laughs> I uh, find that my politics, although pretty consistent in uh, overarching theories, are are sort of constantly mutating in specifics. And so uh, I find that and have found over the past several years that uh, not having any political affiliation seems to serve me better. Uh, So uh, it's also something that, you know, in every job I've had, we've been very discouraged um, in terms of talking about it. Uh, But I am a wilderness educator, I guess, in the most basic of terms, uh, lead trips and currently teach for a community college in Portland. Cool. Um, okay. So I guess the, the, the main thing that I kind of want to talk to you about is how to camp when you're prepared to camp. So the, the framing that I'm, I'm imagining this particular conversation in is, you know, I reached out to you, um, in a rush in the middle of the night during the uprising when I was like, what would I need if I suddenly needed to move overland? Like if suddenly the American South became a dramatically inhospitable place and I, you know, there were militia checkpoints on the roads or whatever, whatever the, the reasoning would be. I was like, what would I need to get out um, on foot? And, you know, 
I've camped a bit in my life, right? And I, you know, live off grid, but there's still a lot of stuff. Like I, I think I specifically called you to be like, what kind of camping pad do I actually need? <laughs> and also yeah. are poles actually worth it? And um, because, you know, I did most of my um, more active outdoorsing while I was a younger woman and uh, <laughs> was a little bit more physically resilient to sleeping on the ground and stuff. And mm-hmm. and so, so yeah, I guess I wanted to, to talk to you. We'll, we'll get into some other stuff about what to do when you don't have what you need. But I, I wanted to talk to you about like, when you have what you need, how do you go about camping or through hiking? Like what's some of the stuff? Yeah, I think that in planning for trips and planning for camping, there's a lot of working backwards, uh, sort of where do I envision myself going? How far do I envision myself going? Uh, what sort of tolerance for misery do I know that I have or not have? Mm-hmm. And working backwards, therefore, what kind of gear do I need or what kind of gear can I jettison? Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know that there's like a really easy answer to that. Uh, I think that being prepared tends to look like knowing the weight of your gear, mm-hmm. knowing the number of miles that you can travel with a full backpack and a full backpack. I mean, that's a pretty broad term because there are full backpacks that are, you know, 20 pounds and full backpacks that are 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how much weight can I personally comfortably carry uh, according to the number of miles I want to travel? So. Uh, yeah, a lot of working backwards and a lot of sort of n- not having a, a strict formula to work with. How would you gauge that if you are like, let's say you are a modestly physically active person who does not make a habit of through hiking and or, you know, overnight backpacking or anything like that? What? How would people start getting a sense of um, or or people with different levels of ability, you know, I'm just going to start using myself as an example. But how would you start gauging how um, how much weight you would consider carrying and how far you think that you would try to push yourself on a given day? I think one of the important things is to get a baseline understanding for how far you can travel before you start to feel really miserable. Mm-hmm. So that might look like, you know, in your initial stages, especially if you're not used to say walking up a lot of hills is going out with very minimal equipment, going out with a bunch of water and maybe, you know, a couple of extra clothing layers mm-hmm. and going and walking up, you know, maybe uh, a thousand feet of elevation gain um, you know, maybe over two or three miles and seeing how that feels to your body. Mm-hmm. You know, is that uh, is that already pushing it or not? Uh, and then I think another great step to take is getting everything that you think you're going to need. So there are sort of infinite packing lists that you can find online for backcountry trips. Mm-hmm. Sort of getting together everything that you think you need, putting it all in a backpack, and then just taking that on a walk for even just a couple miles around your neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, or the place where you live and start to see how that feels. Because a lot of people, the when the, you make the jump from day hiking to overnight backpacking, uh, it's a pretty steep learning curve. And I think people tend to underestimate how much things weigh. Mm-hmm. And they also tend to overestimate how much weight they can carry before they start to feel really miserable. Mm -hmm. So if you tell the average person, you know, you're going to have to carry 
uh, you know, 35 pounds of gear on your back, 35 pounds doesn't necessarily sound like a lot of weight, but as soon as you put it on and start to move at a, you know, reasonably fast hiking pace over several miles, uh, that weight tends to add up really quickly and start to feel real heavy. Yeah. That makes sense. When I was, you know, when I was younger and lived out of a backpack, I felt like, um, people, people always started by putting like kind of as much weight as they could possibly have in their backpacks. And then would kind of like, like, you know, people who are hitchhiking and hopping freight trains and stuff, and then would slowly kind of just slimming down and getting rid of everything extra. And, mm-hmm. and then actually would then move back up to being like, well, now I want bolt cutters or some other fucking stupid heavy thing. Um, <laughs> because they kind of know what they do and don't need by that point. But, um, okay, well, well, to start with like, kind of the basics from my point of view, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the, the one thing that I always considered indispensable was a sleeping bag. Like I always felt like no matter what, like my backpack could just be a damn sleeping bag. And now I wasn't in the wilderness. I was like in cities. So things like getting water and food were like more available. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to turn the show into just like a, like just gear talk, right? Like what's the best sleeping bag and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, Sometimes some of the gear stuff is important. And I, I guess it's like not necessarily like what's like the best top of the line sleeping bag, but what's like, what's a baseline that people would be looking for? And I I, I know yeah. it has to do with environment, but. Totally. Uh, so I have a few, kind of a few big characteristics, I guess, to look at. Uh, the first one is, you know, if you go to like Dick's Sporting Goods and you pull a backpack off one of the, or a sleeping bag off one of the shelves, Mm -hmm. it's probably going to be one of those rectangular synthetic sleeping bags, Mm -hmm. uh, or it might even have like a, you know, like a fleece lining on the inside of it. You definitely want to get away from those rectangular sleeping bags Mm -hmm. and go for something that's a mummy fit sleeping bag. So that's the one that's, you know, tapered at the feet. Uh, It's narrower down there. And then it sort of uh, flares out around where the shoulders and torso are. And you want to do that just because you want to minimize the amount of space that your body has to heat up. Mm-hmm. So in rectangular sleeping bags, you have a lot more dead space, a lot more air space inside the sleeping bag, which means it's harder for your body to heat up all of that air. So you're just kind of wasting heat. So mummy cut or mummy fit sleeping bags are important to look at. Uh, and then sleeping bags are rated according to their survival temperature, which is to say when a sleeping bag has a listed, you know, uh, temperature rating, mm-hmm. you should be safe. You should not die mm-hmm. down to that temperature. One thing that's really important to remember is that that's not a comfort rating. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I really encourage people to think about is, do you tend to sleep really cold? You know, are you always cold when you're sleeping or are you the kind of person who's, you know, waking up and sweating in the middle of the night? And that's going to make a difference in terms of, you know, what kind of temperature you might opt for. Uh, I would say, you know, if I were going to pick one sleeping bag to that would, you know, get me through the vast majority of conditions all the time, mm-hmm. I would say a 20 degree synthetic bag. Okay. 20 degrees is, you know, it's 
that'll keep you alive through, you know, most certainly Pacific Northwest weather, you know, not being in the mountains. Uh, and you can always add in, you know, like a liner or, um, you know, have a hot water bottle or some, some of those chemical heat packs to make it a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. uh, but that'll keep you alive and, you know, reasonably comfortable in a lot of conditions. And then I always recommend the synthetic. Uh, it, they are bulkier and they are heavier, but uh, they'll also continue to insulate even when they're wet, mm -hmm. which down sleeping bags won't. And especially oh, here in the Pacific Northwest, eight months of rain, that's eight months of potentially having a not insulating sleeping bag. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. That I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I, I tend to recommend synthetic sleeping bags. But the reason that I do it, and this is just to my best knowledge, is that synthetic sleeping bags are happier compacted like all day long as compared to down mm. sleeping bags need to be stored yeah. like outside of their stuff sack. And, you know, um, most people don't do what I do, which is sleep in a sleeping bag every night. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an old habit dies hard i've like it takes so many comforters to be warm in a bed but it just takes one zero degree sleeping bag and you're fine um true. <laughs> and um you know but but most people are probably going to be keeping their sleeping bags like packed away right and if it's going to be living mm -hmm. in the bottom of your pack then is that true is that that the synthetic is happier compacted yes well I don't know if it's happier compacted. It's just less miserable when it's compacted mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah, the, if you're storing a down sleeping bag compacted, you know, in a stuff sack, you're going to end up with clumping feathers mm -hmm. and you're going to end up with inconsistent distribution of the down. Uh, and so it's, you know, you're going to have sort of spots that feel really cold and okay. that it doesn't take a terribly long time for a down sleeping bag to end up with that clumping if it's being stored compacted. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. And, and synthetic sleeping bags are also cheaper. So that's also nice. Also that. <laughs> um, and I literally don't know how down, uh, what geese are treated. I have no idea. Um, yeah. You know, there's this, there's this certified cruelty free down now, mm -hmm. and I think it's probably bullshit. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't surprise no. me. No geese had to suffer for those synthetic <laughs> sleeping bags. So one thing I learned about sleeping in sleeping bags only more recently, which is embarrassing because, again, that's been um, about half my life now has been the primary <laughs> thing that I sleep in, um, is that the the loft of the sleeping bag, the like puffiness of it is so crucial to its warming value. And so I was learning that like you shouldn't put a blanket over a sleeping bag if you're trying to maximize the efficacy of a sleeping bag. Is that... Is that something you know much about? Uh, I wish I could comment more on sort of the, the physics of it. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, I will say that one of the reasons for that, one reason that I do know, is that the way that the reason that down or synthetic fill, you know, the reason that it's effective is because there's air trapped in between feathers mm -hmm. or in sort of in that synthetic fill. And your that trapped air is being heated up by your body. So your body's not only heating up sort of the the airspace inside of your sleeping bag, but also in the air that's contained in the fill. Yeah. And so when you compress that, you are reducing the amount of warm air that can be held close to your body. So it's ultimately just making it a little bit colder for you. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Do you know if the rating of sleep... Oh, and another question that I get asked, and I I think I have an answer to, but I'm not entirely certain, is there's, there's a rumor that goes around that sleeping in a sleeping bag with clothes on re- reduces the efficacy of a sleeping bag. Um, uh, it's kind of half true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's totally fine to sleep in clothes, but kind of, you know, just like I've been talking about this trapped airspace, if you are wearing a ton of clothing, Mm -hmm. then the airspace, there's just this little tiny sort of layer of air right around you between sort of your body and your clothes Mm -hmm. that you're heating up, but it's preventing your body heat from fully radiating into the airspace inside the sleeping bag Mm -hmm. and then to that, you know, down or synthetic fill. Uh, so you can, you know, I, I sleep in like uh, wool long johns and a and like a long sleeve base layer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, often when people are cold, they'll say, well, I'm just going to put on all of my clothing and wear it to bed and then I'll be even warmer, which is not true. Uh, the better way if you have a bunch of extra clothing and you are cold at night is actually just to take that clothing and ball it up and stuff it inside your sleeping bag with you. Mm-hmm. Because that's just, again, reducing the amount of airspace that your body needs to heat up in order to make the sleeping bag warm. Okay. Yeah. And I also kind of recommend to people, like, it's just something that I learned from a long habit is that you put the clothes that you want to wear the next day, if they fit into your sleeping bag, um, so that they're not freezing in the morning and your life yeah. is like slightly <laughs> less miserable. Um, and then totally. a weird random thing I've learned in the sort of modern era, um, I learned a long time ago that a uh, Modern electronics are not designed with squatters in mind. And <laughs> um, lithium batteries are not happy when it's cold out. Correct. And so I also put uh, my phone in my sleeping bag at night so that the battery isn't dead in the morning and um, <laughs> may or may not have occasionally put an entire fucking laptop into my sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> for the same yeah. purpose. <laughs> When I used to work for, uh, I used to guide for a wilderness therapy program Mm -hmm. and, you know, we had uh, radios that we had to carry Mm -hmm. and bags full of medication. Another thing that's really good if people don't already know is if you uh, carry epinephrine, Mm -hmm. uh, epinephrine can freeze and once it freezes, it loses its potency. So if you have like an EpiPen or epinephrine, Mm -hmm. that should go in your sleeping bag with you as well. So I used to have a sleeping bag full of like EpiPens and radios and batteries and uh-huh. my spare radio batteries. And so every time I would roll around at night, you'd hear like clunk, 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 and all my shit just like rolling over in my sleeping bag with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. And then also uh, ceramic water filters are, you have to like drain them and you can't let them freeze or whatever. Right, because if there's water in there and it freezes, it expands and it can crack the filter. Yeah, and I haven't had that. I haven't like had that happen to me yet uh, in my personal life. But my water filter is no longer a ceramic water filter, the one on my house. Um, no. Yeah, that's why I don't. Uh, you know, it's for your house, so it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But that's why on my personal trips, I don't carry a filter anymore. I don't. I don't ever filter. Oh, interesting. Um, what do you do for uh, drinking water? Uh, I do chemical treatment instead. Mm-hmm. So, and chemical treatment can sort of run the gamut from really super incredibly cheap up to, you know, 
not expensive, but definitely more, more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use Aquamira, mm-hmm. which basically creates chlorine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like Aquamira because there's relatively little aftertaste. And uh, sometimes in the outdoors, I have a hard time drinking enough water, especially when it's cold. And if it's cold and my water tastes like shit, I'm definitely not going to drink it. <laughs> so I use Aquamira, but you can use bleach. Mm-hmm. Bleach is an incredibly effective and super cheap way of chemically treating your water. Mm-hmm. So you should just drink bleach if uh, if you drink bad water and then you just drink some bleach. Yeah, I hear that will also uh, <laughs> solve COVID-19 too. So yeah. it's the one-two punch. <laughs> okay, so no, it's actually interesting about water filters because I... in. I've been putting um, little tiny vials of chemical treatment into like any kind of survival kit that I pack for anybody. But for me, and I keep one like in my, you know, my day pack that goes with me everywhere or whatever, right? Because um, mm-hmm. I, I really like light, cheap, useful things that just like don't take up any space and you can forget about them. Um, and, but then when I imagine like actually camping, I, I've always ended up using you know, like I use the mini Sawyer. That was like the ceramic mm-hmm. filter that I used on my house when pandemic started because I, you know, wasn't leaving my house because there was a pandemic. Um, <laughs> and so I've always seen the the ceramic filters as like kind of the step up from the, the chemical treatment. So that's interesting to hear that you prefer the chemical treatment. They definitely make water taste a lot better mm-hmm. when you, when you filter it. I just, I don't, you know, they're bulky, and I just often don't want to take the time to filter water. So chemical filtration, you know, and it, let me say this, it really depends on where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I used to work in in southeastern Utah and we uh, largely uh, and so- southwestern Colorado and southeastern Utah and our water sources are all cow ponds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine brown water that you cannot see through with floating mounds of cow shit in it. Oh, God. I'm, I'm going to filter that. <laughs> I yeah. definitely filter that water. But for anything, you know, in most of the Pacific Northwest, up in the Cascades, the water, I mean, we're so lucky out here. The water is so great. So I don't mm-hmm. bother filtering that. And I just will do chemical treatment. Okay. And for anyone who's listening who um, is like, but the water's so natural, I want to just drink it. Um, you ever had Giardia? I had it once. I have. And it's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a real bad scene and I kind of think it would um murder you if it happened in a situation where you couldn't uh you know have access to ways to get food and water in you. Yeah, that becomes a really dangerous situation actually, especially if you're pretty far out. Uh because I guess for you know for anyone who doesn't know, uh the biggest symptom, biggest sign mm-hmm. for Giardia is uh, is really terrible diarrhea. Mm-hmm. So vomiting and diarrhea. And yeah. so you're just losing <laughs> so much fluid from your body. Mm-hmm. And that just very quickly becomes really dangerous. And then you're not able to walk very far. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend, please, please do something to make your water drinkable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, we think we're in a more when when you're out in the woods you think you're in a more pure environment than you are and i've seen so many times like um forest defense camps or you know uh kind of more hippie backpacker types or whatever who just are like oh no it's cool because we're so far away from civilization you could just drink right out of the stream and i've seen those people get very sick and i've been um sickened by someone who i chose to trust and drink her water 
and it was a poor decision because it was unfiltered water and yeah i've never had an experience in my life where i had to shit and throw up at the same time at the the same time it's so incredible it just comes out really aggressively (laughs) from both ends so anyway uh (laughs) water water uh take care of your water okay so so back to sleeping um you know, because this is uh, this is one of the things that I, I called you about, right? Is because I was imagining, okay, like I've done some cold weather camping, but I haven't like done a ton of it, right? I, you know, I grew up mm-hmm. in a place that has four seasons, but winter is not six months long, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and I used to just never fuck with sleeping pads. Like again, I was usually in urban environments, so I just find a cardboard dumpster and get a ton of cardboard and sleep on it. Um, which is incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, <laughs> and one of the reasons it's so uncomfortable is that if you sleep outside all the time, um, you kind of have to sleep. Maybe everyone's body is different about this, right? But like uh, if I sleep on my side and I don't have enough padding, I just, uh, I toss and turn all night, right? Because the, the ground's mm-hmm. too hard on my hips. And so I can only sleep on my back or on my belly. But then that isn't warm enough when you're cold, right? If you're sleeping and it's slightly cold, you don't want to sleep on your back. Like your body will just get mad at you for sleeping on your back. And so sleeping pads, someone invented this wonderful thing called portable mattresses that uh, should have occurred to me <laughs> much younger than they did. Um, what what kind of sleeping pad do you use or recommend? Yeah. So sleeping bags come in, or sorry, sleeping pads come in two basic varieties, two basic overarching varieties. One is a closed cell and one's uh, an inflatable or an open cell. Mm-hmm. So a closed cell sleeping pad is like the ubiquitous, you know, yellow accordion fold sleeping pad that looks like an egg crate that you've seen probably, you know, everybody using. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is, that's great. Uh, if you are a person who generally doesn't have any trouble sleeping regardless of where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally would never take just that, but I uh, I have a lot of trouble sleeping to begin with, even when I'm, you know, at home in my own bed. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of becomes, you know, that trouble becomes, you know, exponentially worse when I'm in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. So I personally take always, regardless of where I am, but especially in the cold, uh, I take both. I take uh, a foam. I take that accordion fold egg crate yellow foam sleeping pad. And I also take an inflatable one. And that uh, is just extra comfort for me, which I really appreciate because, you know, especially in the context of, you know, being outdoors for my work, mm-hmm. uh, work tends to feel a lot easier. And I tend to be a much nicer person if I've had a <laughs> amount of sleep the mm-hmm. night before, especially when I'm in charge of people's well-being. You know, I try to be well rested. Um the the combination of the two is i would say really important in the cold mm-hmm. uh foam you know closed cell sleeping pads they'll give you some insulation from the cold ground which is great mm-hmm. but they don't provide a lot of comfort you know it's basically kind of a step up from cardboard right it's mm-hmm. not that much softer or thicker uh and then using uh, an inflatable one that's going to give you the extra comfort, but using an inflatable sleeping pad directly on cold ground, all you're going to end up with is that cold ground cooling that air inside of the inflatable sleeping pad. 
and it's going to uh, it's going to draw away your it's going to try to basically draw away your body heat until your temperature your body temperature is the same as the temperature of that air. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you use the two, you have the insulation from the ground. You're not cooling down that airspace inside the inflatable pad as quickly, and you're just that much more comfortable overnight. Okay. Yeah, I actually I tried this for the first time after talking to you. Um, and it was great. I had just finished. Um, I managed to uh, maybe get trapped in a blizzard in um, what I thought was early fall. Well, actually, it was mid fall um, because I confusingly decided that I should drive alone through what's that state that's really cold? Um, North Dakota and uh, oh, maybe yeah. Montana. I don't remember which one I got stuck in the blizzard and it was a very long day. And so I slept in my car that day. Uh, which is not particularly comfortable. And then the night after, I was like, I'm going to just fucking camp. You know, I made it somewhere a little bit warmer. And um, yeah, it was it was really, it was really comfortable. It's one of the, the nicer sleeping out moments I've had. Um, yes, so that's so great. Yeah, it's uh, for me, you know, there are lots of places where people are willing to shave off ounces and gear that people are willing to leave behind. Mm-hmm. For me, the combination, I, I, I just, it's unmatched. The, the quality of sleep that I get and the comfort that I get from mm-hmm. the combination is, is so worth the extra weight to me. Yeah. When, when you're talking about being grouchy in the morning, right? Like it's like one of these <laughs> things that people like laugh about, like they're like, oh yeah, ha ha ha. I'm like really unhappy. Um, but like, I hadn't quite realized, you know, um, how important morale is you know? Oh my God. Yeah. Like I actually think it's probably on a regular basis. The difference between life or death is like, just like some vague level of comfort in a bad situation, you know? Totally. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, in, in all of the really terrible situations that I've ever been in. Yeah. I think the reason that all of them didn't end with severe injury or death was mm-hmm. because of some kind of comfort, whether that's physical comfort or emotional comfort, but, you know, doing whatever the hell you can to try to keep morale up. Yeah. I could really see myself like, um, you know, you know, one of those movies where you're like trapped under a boulder and waiting for rescue or whatever. Uh, I could definitely see myself just like pulling out Nintendo switch and playing Skyrim until the battery dies, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because like, yeah, morale, morale is, is so much more vital than I, I would have expected, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. it's that, it's that kind of macho attitude of like, you know, doing without anything or whatever. Right. Um, Okay. So what is speaking of stuff that people bring and, and don't bring, like what's some of the bullshit? Like, okay. So you're clearly like, for example, um, not a, I don't, certainly in terms of your sleeping arrangements, you're more maximalist than than some, you know, mm-hmm. campers and backpackers. But what's some of the stuff that people think they need that they don't? Um, you know, I uh, gosh, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I there are all sorts of things that I think fall into this, and it kind of depends on what people are hoping to do or sort of what kind of trip they're trying to have. So, you know, there are all kinds of really fancy gadgets that you can get. You know, I think there's now like a backcountry 
French press that you can get and, you know, <laughs> you know, a backcountry pour over so you can have your perfectly mm-hmm. brewed cup of coffee. So there's stuff like that. But I also kind of don't hold that against people because I, yeah. I get it. Like, you know, at some point you're willing to carry the extra weight for the things that matter the most to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, though, is excessive toiletries. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time, and this happens all the time, people are always trying to bring full-size sticks of deodorant. Just I, huh. I just don't get it because I get that there's this, you know, we have a lot of sort of cultural norms around, you know, how you smell and mm-hmm. what you smell like. But I never really understood that. I just think, you know, we're outdoors. Just embrace the fact that you're going to stink. Mm-hmm. And the more smelly items that you bring, the more attractive you are to bears. So that's just <laughs> one more thing you got to protect from bears at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. You know, some people will bring full-on camping pillows that are really bulky and quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Um People bring chairs a lot. And I think, you know, if you have back issues, then yeah. that's great. Whatever, do your thing. A lot of that, there are a lot of stools and chairs that are being made now that are really pretty cool and, and don't weigh all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what else people really are attached to. You know, uh, it's, people it's- tend to bring more clothing than they need. Mm-hmm. I've been pretty. I've been pretty impressed, actually. I haven't seen people bring a whole lot of really absurd stuff on the trips that I've led, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty good after, I think, 600 days working outdoors now that I have. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a really disappointing answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 okay. Because I mean, it's like I was just saying that I'm going to bring a Nintendo Switch, right? So like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, the... The things that I, I most immediately think of are like, um, I think I've talked shit on wire saws before on the show. Um, mm-hmm. The like sort of like gadgets, the like kind of like tactical, cool, like, yeah, uh, you know, like, I don't know. That's the, that's the kind of stuff that I, when I think of besides, I don't know, besides, yeah, too much clothing. People don't realize that when you just go camping, you just don't change your shirt. Which actually, right. I don't know, has some problems <laughs> down the road eventually. But eventually, uh, do you know what a woodsman's pal is? I do not. It's like a oh, I wish I could. It's it's kind of like a smaller machete. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess machetes comes in all come in all sorts of sizes. Uh, it's basically designed for chopping wood, but also sort of shaving uh, strips of wood for tinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, People have tried to bring those and, you know, really just a, just a regular knife will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, people trying to backpack with axes and hatchets and I mean, good for you, but uh, I would say, you know, you shouldn't, A, you shouldn't be chopping anything off of trees mm-hmm. and B, if a, if a log is so big that you need to chop it down in order to burn it, it's probably just too big to begin with. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, a hatchet has not made any kind of level of my cut. I could imagine situations where like a machete might be useful, but like I'm I'm pretty into the just like one fuck off knife, you know, one fixed yeah. fixed blade knife. Um but um I know a lot of people are into folding saws. Like again, this is kind of less like like 3-day trip kind of thing and more a little bit of like 
you know, I'm off to go start my new life in the forest eating squirrels or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I feel like I would bring a, a folding saw in a, in a lot of environments like to, to cut wood with, but I, I don't know. They work pretty well. I'd say they have mm -hmm. a pretty, pretty limited lifespan. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. At least for me, you know, I've found that with heavy use, mm -hmm. you know, six months before that thing is really warped or not really working well or part of the handle breaks off. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you recommend? What do you, what do you use instead? Or do you just replace them every six months? You know, I don't these days find a lot of occasions to really take a folding saw. It doesn't mm -hmm. really feel necessary for where I go or where I work. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, just sort of the one standalone fuck off knife that yeah. really does it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love my fuck off knife. I, I also, <laughs> I made my fuck off knife. I like was living with a knife maker and I was like watching over their shoulder for a long time. And then I was like, can I make one now? <laughs> um, That's awesome. Has it, have you managed to get it and keep it pretty sharp? Uh, I am not incredibly good at sharpening knives. This yeah. is a, Oh, I'm glad to, this is the skill set that I'm like very embarrassed that I, I I seem to lack. It's a very fine dexter dexterity thing. Um, I got it very sharp when I first did it, uh, very carefully, and then since then, honestly, I don't really sharpen it, and it still does the stuff that I need a knife to do, which is like cut open boxes and make people not fuck with me when I'm wearing a mini skirt and have a giant knife. Yeah. Um, so like, I really need to sharpen it. Um, <laughs> like I, you know, it's like, I can't shave with it. Right. Um, right. and I've, I've definitely had knives and I could, I could shave with this knife when I, you know, when it f first came out of the sharpening or whatever. Um, but I don't know. What kind of fuck off knife do you, do you like? <laughs> uh, I'd carry a Mora mm -hmm. knife. Which is a pretty, it's just a pretty standard knife. I don't know. I, I made a new handle for it, which I really oh, like. Because cool. it comes with like a shitty plastic handle, you mm -hmm. know, and I wanted something that's wood. Mm -hmm. uh, they're relatively easy to sharpen. And I say that as a person who really sucks at sharpening things. Mm -hmm. uh, they're pretty easy to sharpen. It's a good size. I, I like it because you can both cut things and uh, like whittle mm -hmm. with it pretty well so it's not it's not an enormous blade but i found it to be a good sort of all-purpose knife okay that's cool um so what do, what do people forget to bring all the time like what are, what are some of the things where people are like oh gee i you know i don't know you, you would know the answer to this and i could conjecture but i'll be wrong yeah i there are kind of three things that come to mind. One is, you know, people are really great about packing a stove, but are way less good about packing lighters. So, mm. you know, because mm -hmm. that just sort of, I don't know, becomes less obvious as something that you would need. So people will always, you know, they'll have their fuel bottles and they'll have their stoves, but they won't actually check to make sure that they have a lighter. Huh. You always have a lighter, always. Uh, another thing is sort of broadly, I'm going to say, something to protect your skin mm -hmm. and sort of two different uh, areas of that. One is people always forget sun protection, mm -hmm. uh, like sunscreen, which, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't really, you know, I just tan really quickly or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, 
being significantly sunburned in the backcountry on a long trip is so shitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so terrible. Uh, so even if, you know, you have like a broad brimmed hat, uh, I think having that sort of extra uh, sunscreen on top of that is great. The other thing is if you're going to be traveling on snow, you either need some really burly sunscreen or you need something with zinc oxide in it that uh, creates like an actual physical barrier on your skin uh, mm -hmm. because the combination of the sunlight and the reflection of the sunlight off of the snow becomes really intense. And people, you know, I, I personally have repeatedly burned the inside of my nose, uh, the roof Whoa. of my mouth, okay, like all of these places that are so bad to have a sunburn. <laughs> and so, and for me, at least, uh, you know, sunscreen, most sunscreen won't cut it because I'm sweating all the time. Mm -hmm. And so for that, you know, uh, like diaper rash cream, which mm -hmm. is like basically pure zinc oxide mm -hmm. is really great. It sits on the skin. It doesn't rub in. You're going to look really silly because you've got this white junk all over your face. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's an actual barrier and also, you know, protects you a little bit from windburn. Uh, and all of this just is such an important thing just for comfort and longevity in the backcountry. And I think people tend to overlook that because they sort of figure, you know, well, as long as it's not a debilitating burn, then I'll be fine. Okay. That is absolutely something that I regularly overlook. Um, so yeah, I, I can't imagine the inside of my nose burning. Um, oh, it's so bad. And I don't, have you ever had a, a second degree sunburn? No. So second degree sunburn, uh, you know, a second degree burn is when you have the formation of blisters. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you have blisters anywhere on your body in the backcountry, it's a chance for infection. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, depending on how bad they are, you're losing fluid from your body. So uh, I've had many a second degree sunburn on my face. Um, That's and it's terrible. just not fun to walk around with your face leaking fluid from your blisters. That would make me never go outside again. I would be like, I know a, it's really terrible. There's a murder orb in the sky and it's trying to murder me. That's <laughs> it's, its job. It's the cursed, cursed day star. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So people forget sunscreen. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I've been running across the like, um, there's like a list of like the 10 essentials and it's like, 80 years old and I could not tell you it off the top of my head. Um, but sun protection always seems to make the list of like the absolute bare essentials before going out mm -hmm. into the woods. And it has never been an essential for me. And I, but I'm, I think that's because I'm not, I mean, you know, because I, I haven't pushed, I haven't pushed this. I, I don't do multi day through hikes and stuff, but you, you know, um, yeah. so um, you know, there's one other thing that you just got me thinking about the, the mm -hmm. 10 essentials. Uh, another thing that people tend to forget or they overlook or they just convince themselves that they don't need it mm -hmm. is an actual compass versus uh, uh -huh. just your phone map. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we can do we can do so much with our phones now and we have all of these, you know, neat devices that we can carry mm -hmm. that people assume that if they have, you know, a GPS, then they're never going to be lost. But there are so many limitations, so many ways that that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think people forget and overlook the fact that you need to have a map and a compass and you need to be able to know how to use them together. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about compasses as like, 
I mean, it's funny because compasses also fall into the like realm of like, if I see a knife with a compass in the handle of it, I assume it's a garbage knife and a garbage compass and like, <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, so like a compass embedded into another object is like almost always a bad scene. It seems yeah. like it's not inherently wrong, right? But there's just, uh, if it's going to be a quality compass, it seems like it's going to be standalone. Is that... The, the tough thing is, especially if you're trying to navigate over any kind of distance, mm-hmm. uh, you have to, so depending on where you are in the world, there's going to be a difference between where true north is in relation to you mm-hmm. and where the needle of your compass points to. So oh, there's God. a difference between true north and mm-hmm. magnetic north. Mm-hmm. And that can that difference can be up to like 40 degrees difference. So you can wow. probably start to see if you don't have the knowledge of the declination, that difference between true north and magnetic north. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a compass that has sort of clear individually marked degrees, Mm -hmm. then you can end up 40 degrees off of where you're actually trying to travel to. Okay. One of the reasons that I pitch people carrying a compass, even if they kind of um, either suck at navigating like I do, because I haven't done it since I was a boy scout, which, um, you know, was a long time ago. Um, or who just have no idea about navigation is it seems to me to be like a kind of useful thing. And maybe I I don't know, this is like my own conjecture Um, basically to be like, well, at least I'm walking the same goddamn way. Yes. So like that was always my, like I should carry a compass so that if I'm lost, I'm at least fucking walk in the same direction. Totally. Even if you don't know how to do anything with your compass, mm-hmm. if you can walk and keep basically keep the needle pointing towards the same degree marking or pointing in the same direction, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're more or less walking a straight line and you're going to do better at walking a straight line with that than if you had nothing. Okay. Um, cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that this, because uh, one of the things that I realize is that like a lot of, um, like the the things that scare people off of prepping, one thing that scares people off of prepping is that like it's so gear oriented that it like seems like it's only for um antisocial people with lots of money and storage space, which is obviously mm-hmm. like not true, right? Um those people are actually less likely to be in uh bad situations than the rest of us. Um but then also even after that, it can be very skill oriented and sometimes that takes um time that we can't always dedicate to this stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to learn navigation again for real. I, I, I couldn't do it again. You know, I, I learned it uh, 25 years ago or something. Um, mm-hmm. But I would love to, right? But there's just also so much other shit that I would love to do. And like, it's really interesting to learn which things you could use whether or not you have some skill and like figure it out in the woods and which things that you like actually probably need to figure out ahead of time. And I'm wondering, cause you, um, you were telling me before we started recording that, that what you do is, um, well, you hear, do you want to explain the difference between a, being a guide and an instructor? And then the reason I'm going to ask is because I want to ask if there's things that people assume that they will be able to do that they cannot do and or vice versa things that people assume they can't do that they can do yeah absolutely uh so i guess in 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 sort of pretty brief terms uh guides in the sort of traditional sense uh wilderness guides are people who take paying clients out and sort of facilitate an outdoor experience for them 
And that could be a backpacking trip. That could be, you know, you kind of see them. I, I associate them the most with just climbing mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pay a guide who will basically close the gap, the knowledge gap, right? We'll take you, a person with no, you know, background or skill in climbing mountains and get you to the top of a, you know, relatively technical peak, mm-hmm. uh, get you back down safely. And we'll sort of cook all of your meals as you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, the reason I shied away from guiding is because I, I find that when people are paying a guide, you know, guides are not inexpensive, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think when people pay a guide, they sort of expect, well, you know, you are going to set up my sleeping or you're going to set up my tent, you're going to cook my meals, (laughs) you're going to, uh, you're going to do all the technical stuff so that I don't have to worry about it. Uh Forced butler. Right. And I I just really kind of hate that. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I knew that if I went into that, that I would become really jaded and really cynical and really antisocial. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I do instead, and what I've done ever since I got into working outdoors in 2011, is I've been uh, an instructor. So I take people who want to learn the skills mm-hmm. into the backcountry. And we do some, you know, I used to work uh, courses that were 30 days long. So we'll do some really long 30 day trip. Wow. Or we'll do like a you know, we'll climb a mountain or we'll go snow camping. Uh, and I'm there to teach people how to do it as they are kind of immersed in the situation. Uh, and I really love what I do just because I, because there's a curiosity, because people feel some responsibility for their own well being, And it feels much more like we're a, sort of a functioning team versus I don't know, like a mother duck and a bunch of ducklings. Okay. That's cool. Um, okay. So, so when you do that, what are the things that, like, what are some of the skills that people can pick up easier than they think they can? Or what are some of the skills that people like, you actually probably need to study ahead of time? Basically, like, like almost where can you cut corners in your preparation uh, in terms of, <laughs> of skills? And where do you really have to, to focus in? I think most outdoor living things Mm -hmm. can be picked up on the fly. Mm -hmm. You know, you can learn how to cook over a backpacking stove and even make, you know, some pretty awesome meals. Uh, And you can figure it out sort of in the backcountry. You can figure out, you know, how to put up a tent. You can figure out how to, um, you know, keep yourself relatively comfortable during the day. You can figure out how to make a fire kind of on the fly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that, there are definitely some tips that make it easier, but you know, that's not something that you need to, you know, study beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two things that I would say really do require some forethought or some planning or some training is navigation, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people think that they know how to navigate with a map and compass, but when it comes down to it, they have no idea. And mm-hmm. I see this again and again, even in sort of people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the other thing is building shelter. Mm-hmm. So putting up a tent is one thing, but trying to create a shelter, even, even like a tarp shelter is, has more <laughs> kind of nuance than you might expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can put up a tarp shelter that, 
you know, kind of looks like shit and definitely won't last the night. But <laughs> it takes it takes a little more planning to sort of get a really nice weatherproof tarp shelter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, something that uh, that I teach people sort of in the context of my job right now, and also, you know, has you know personally saved my life in the past, is uh, is snow shelters. Mm-hmm. And digging a snow shelter is not intuitive. It's not okay. intuitive. It's not, uh, there are a lot of things to think about that you might not immediately think about. Uh, and that's one thing where I, I do think that if people are going to be in a remote situation in the snow, you ought to know how to build a snow shelter. Okay. That's good to know. I have no idea. I mean, I have an idea of how to build a snow shelter in that I've like seen some diagrams in some very nice books. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, um, have always just had tents if I'm well I've mostly avoided the snow because I I didn't need to not avoid the snow so I would just hitchhike south because it was cold Um, Mm -hmm. but um, so okay in terms of what you can cut corners with and what you can't what about with gear like you know there's so much stuff that's marketed to like as soon as anyone who's listening to this podcast starts googling any of this shit your ads are going to be full of like yeah. all oh kinds God. of garbage right and they're gonna be like yeah. if you're a real man you're gonna get this real man box and once a month mm-hmm. we send you a man tool and um <laughs> and it's always like some random fucking bullshit and like uh it, and and a lot of this shit's like really expensive right like i've definitely learned yeah. But then some of it's so fucking cheap. And and like my one example that I use personally all the time is that like um I swear by five dollar folding knives. Um Oh yeah. Like I have a hard time envisioning what an eighty dollar folding knife is for. Like I just like maybe it would just last me the rest of my life, but I'm not convinced by that. Yeah, you know, I think for some of these companies you do pay a premium for uh, for lifetime guarantee, which mm-hmm. is pretty nice. Yeah, but I'd say you know, kind of depends on how much you envision using that particular thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I might spend eighty dollars on a knife if this knife is exactly the kind of knife that I want, and I use a knife all the time. Right. But personally, I, I just that's not really worth it to me. Right. Uh, but I will say, like, I don't know if you know the company Darn Tough that makes socks. They're from Vermont. No. Uh, they have a lifetime warranty on all their socks. Whoa. Okay. So you And just... I have tested this, and it's a real thing. If you develop a hole in one of your socks, mm-hmm. you can take a picture, you can send it to the company, and they will send you a new pair of socks. Lifetime warranty. Okay. That's cool. Totally worth totally worth the extra money. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about, like like tents and like like what gear because there's so much so much of this gear is is so fuck off expensive um mm-hmm. and yet so much of it is also available it's funny when you're talking about the ubiquitous camping mat and i'm like in my mind the ubiquitous camping mat is a blue foam mat from walmart um yeah <laughs> which i think is just maybe like just- go ahead <laughs> I was just going to say maybe ubiquitous just in in the circles that I've been in for a decade now. Yeah. Oh, I have an accordion fold one now because I'm a fancy bitch. But um, (laughs) (laughs) like, um, yeah, I'm curious what what uh, if if you have any other ideas of like gear that you you can and can't cut corners with. Yeah. um, You know, tents are kind of a weird 
story. Uh, like the sort of cheapest tent that you can buy at like a, you know, an army Navy surplus store or like Walmart or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Those tents will work for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, they might even hold up to some, you know, some high winds, relatively high winds or some hard rain. Uh, they're just much less durable and they're much heavier. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I guess really any gear can work if you don't mind carrying the weight, Mm -hmm. because uh, a lot of those tents that you can find at, you know, at Walmart or, or, you know, any like sporting goods store, uh, or those like sort of cheaper, more basic tents, they're like six pounds, seven pounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in comparison, you know, if if you buy like a really fancy tent, you can get one that's, you know, under a pound. Um, But that's like a $900 tent. And I don't know about you. I'm never Uh going to fucking buy a $900 tent. No. No. Uh, So. If I did, it would be one of those giant camp, like army ones that you like put a wood burning stove in and then you like stand outside with spears. Like, can I have my horses inside of it? Yeah. So great. $900. Yeah. (laughs) Kidding. I don't have horses. (laughs) But if I did, I'd want to fit them in there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry you were saying. Oh, I just that, you know, you can make a whole lot of gear work. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just, you know, they're going to be trade-offs uh, just because the the cheaper models are going to be a little less durable. They're going to be heavier. They're not going to just last you as long. They're not going to hold up as well to extreme weather. But if you don't intend uh, on, you know, walking a ton of miles or you're not going to be in really crazy weather, you know, that's fine. You can get by with a tent like that. You know, that's absolutely fine. And, you know, now um, there are a lot of websites that are springing up now that are discount gear sites mm-hmm. and they are absolutely worth checking. You know, if you think that you want one of these lighter weight, more durable tents, mm-hmm. uh, there are lots of them that pop up on these discount gear sites for, you know, 50, 60% off. Okay. So the the cheaper gear that's still you know, pretty high quality. It's definitely out there. It just takes some some searching. Okay. Yeah, I guess it maybe on some level a tent then ends up kind of similar to like what I say about helmets with a demonstration, which is like the best helmet is the one that you're wearing, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, yeah, it seems like maybe some stuff you can get the nicer of. Um, I do like all the things that like the nicer one is like not actually quite as good, like a down sleeping bag. I mean, like down sleeping bags are really, I'm certain they're great for very specific um, situations, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But, and and speaking of another one, the other thing that I called you um, anxious about was uh, hiking poles. And I called you about hiking poles because I basically was like, I am not as, um, I mean, it's funny because I'm in some ways more fit than I used to be in that I work on physical things all the time because I, have to fix my stupid house constantly um <laughs> you know but i'm just like 20 years older than i used to be well actually i'm 37 years older than i used to be on if you counting far enough back um but um you know i'm anyway um <laughs> now i'm just thinking about how old i am god damn it uh, <laughs> so I, I called you basically being like oh i might need poles like it, it seems like if i'm going to be carrying a lot of weight or moving across treacherous terrain uh these poles seem like a good idea and um could you tell me what you think about trekking poles yeah i am two thousand percent on team trekking pole mm-hmm. i love them and i basically never hike without them and even if i'm not using them while hiking i'm always carrying them with me mm-hmm. um 
so actually this kind of relates back to your question about, you know, where you can cut corners. Uh, one thing that I totally failed to mention is that uh, if you don't need an, a completely enclosed tent, mm-hmm. uh, there are great lightweight tarps out there that are really affordable, you know, especially for something that's so compactable and so lightweight, you know, you can buy uh, a, a super ultra lightweight tarp for like $30, oh, interesting. Uh, which is just a lot cheaper than your average tent, which is, you know, going to run you run you at least like a hundred up to, you know, 900. Mm-hmm. Um, so lightweight tarps are a great option. Uh, and a lot of those can be pitched between trekking poles. Okay. So you don't have to carry, you know, special tent poles or anything like that. And, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, things that serve multiple functions, uh, the trekking pole is the unsung hero because you can use it to put up your tent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can, um, they're incredibly, incredibly helpful for taking weight off of your joints. Mm -hmm. So uh, going uphill, they take, you know, they give you sort of a little extra momentum going uphill and on the downhill, especially if you're like me and you have really busted knees after a lot of years of treating them very badly. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, they take a ton of weight off of that. And if you tend to end hikes with sore knees, mm-hmm. trekking poles might really significantly help you. Okay. Uh, they're also, you know, I used to be a, a wilderness EMT. And uh, my favorite part of becoming an EMT or, you know, any sort of wilderness first, you know, medical first response is, uh, is first aid arts and crafts uh, mm-hmm. or learning how to splint a broken bone. Ah, uh-huh. And when you splint a broken bone, you know, you need something that's rigid, that's going to, uh, you know, that you basically strap to that injured extremity so you can prevent it from moving around. Mm-hmm. And trekking poles are so great, especially if you get ones that are collapsible mm-hmm. uh, because then you can custom, you know, you can uh, adjust the length of them. So, you know, you can fully extend them if it's a broken leg or you can make them really short if it's a broken arm. Uh, So they're really great for that. Uh, And there's also a really hilarious story uh, about Andrew Skirka, who's like this really famous through hiker and backpacker Mm -hmm. uh, who had a grizzly bear running at him. And he Mm -hmm. threw his trekking pole at this bear and the bear turns around and ran away while shitting himself. Damn. So uh-huh. is that he scared the shit out of this grizzly bear. Damn. With his <laughs> <laughs> Which I just love the visual of that so much. Yeah. I um, I hope I am never in a situation where I ever have to consider these. This <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so yeah, I think trekking poles are, are absolutely worth it. Okay. Yeah, when I was younger, I would like seek adventure, you know, um, being like adventure. That's cool. And now I'm like, no, adventure is when bad stuff happens. That's what <laughs> that's what makes it adventure. Um, I'm like, if I go hiking and all I can say is like, man, that waterfall was amazing. You know, like that's a better trip. It's, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the, the one other gear question. I mean, I'm I'm sure I could talk to you about gear way longer than this the one other thing that i i wanted to ask you about because i've been trying to look into for my own uh work is work work of being prepared um, <laughs> it's work yeah especially now i do this podcast um, um do you carry an emergency radio of any kind uh i i don't mm-hmm. but let me say that that is something that i 
feel really terrible about. And I, <laughs> I and that's sort of my next gear purchase is mm. a radio. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a bunch of different kinds. And they're, one of the reasons that I haven't gotten one yet is that this is one technology where it feels, or sort of one backcountry technology, where it feels like the technology is improving so quickly that I keep waiting because I don't know, you know, the next iteration is going to be able to like microwave a bag of popcorn for me while I'm outside. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, you know, there's the, there's a spot, there's a personal locator beacon, there's the Garmin in reach. There are all of these different options and they kind of differ in terms of, you know, some of them just allow you to alert you know, search and rescue uh, and, you know, sort of your designated emergency contact when mm-hmm. there's uh, an emergency. So it basically just has like a big red panic button, more mm-hmm. or less. And then there are ones that let you text people and receive texts, which is nice, especially if you need to, um, you know, one one problem with like the big red panic button scenario is mm-hmm. that you can't actually tell search and rescue what's going on. They can pinpoint your location, but they don't know if it's, you know, is this a heart attack? Is it a broken bone? Do you, can you be evacuated on foot? Do you need a helicopter? All of that. Right. Uh, And so it's nice to have the text capacity so you can say, you know, one patient, 30 years old, broken femur, Mm -hmm. need a helicopter. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, I, I worry about that kind of stuff mostly because my version of, well, I mean, I like camping and, and from a camping and backpacking point of view, those make a, a ton of sense. But if I'm like, uh, right-wing militias have taken over the region that I live in and I would like to leave. Yeah. Um, I don't imagine carrying like um, anything that locates me being a a positive to my, my, mm-hmm. my health and safety. Um, but I, I'm, but I could imagine either wanting a radio that can transmit um, or even just like the like, the, the little like portable shortwave and FM and weather and whatever radios. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Have you, have you messed with any of those at all or? Not a lot. No, I, I really haven't. I think it's a great idea though. Um, sort mm-hmm. of, as you mentioned, you know, it, it all kind of depends on what function you specifically need. And I mm-hmm. think having, having some kind of communication that is not reliant on cell service is mm-hmm. is great you know and that is another one of the 10 essentials right is some sort of emergency communication device mm-hmm. and you know our phones are great but our phones also tend to not you know work terribly reliably so yeah i i don't have any great words of advice with uh with those particular things but i do think that having something like that is critical okay um well you know, I had this whole section prepared of asking what to do when you don't have all the stuff with you that you want to have. Um, but we're coming up on an hour already. And uh, I guess maybe this is a, a conversation mostly about um, how to, you know, the gear that you might want to bring with you when you're preparing rather than what to do when you're, you know, surviving with just a fuck off knife and or whatever. <laughs> um, um, is there anything like, Anything that you want to bring up, last words of advice, things that um, you think the listeners should hear or that I should hear? I don't, not really. I, I think that I, I do, I guess, I guess there is one thing I want to say, which is just <laughs> that 
there's a whole lot of material out there that's going to tell you, you know, what you should bring, what you shouldn't bring. And I think that people really just figure out what works for you mm-hmm. because it might be something, you know, maybe a tarp, a lightweight tarp works great for you mm-hmm. and, uh, and great. Like that's what you should take. Or maybe you are the kind of person who needs, you know, sleep is really difficult for you and you need a little bit of extra luxury when it comes to your sleeping setup. And that's great. You know, Mm -hmm. have that because I think uh, as you, I think so correctly pointed out, right. Morale is so important. Mm -hmm. And if we, I, I think the outdoor community, right? We we're, we're obsessed with gear, but we're also really obsessed with with like denial and denying ourselves <laughs> comforts, uh-huh. right? Which is great in some situations, right? If you're a through hiker and you want to hike 50 miles a day, great. You're probably going to have to ditch a lot of gear. Oh god! But for uh-huh. most of us, for most of us, we're not going to be traveling that kind of distance. And bring some things that make you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. because that is ultimately going to keep you safe, right? Is if you have had enough sleep, you've had enough calories, you've had enough water, you know, if you chemically treat your water and you hate the way it tastes and that makes you drink less water, Mm -hmm. bring a filter, you know, then it's, it's really worth it. So, um, I think for a lot of these things, just like test out different sleeping situations, try different methods of treating your water figure out what kind of food you like when you're hiking, because there are lots of things that I like when I'm hiking that I really don't like at all at home. Like what? So, you know, figure out what those things are. What are they and, for you? Um, I, so I'm like not a candy person at all, but mm-hmm. Sour Patch Kids in the backcountry are like <laughs> the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just like regular, uh, I think now they call it, hopefully they have changed it away from calling it oriental ramen because Mm -hmm. who approved that yeah um i think now they're calling it their soy sauce flavor but the Uh soy sauce ramen i can't get enough of it in the backcountry and instant mashed potatoes huh okay yeah that's cool and especially when you mix the two of them together yeah um i'm trying to think of like yeah when when we would do forest defense basically like as soon as the food supply runs would come all of the sugar just gets eaten right away. And at some point, um, people developed a rule where only tree sitters are allowed to get candy, I think. <laughs> um, just because, like, <laughs> to get people to do tree sitting, right? You know, you, like, you need something right. nicer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's funny because I have such a, I normally have such a sweet tooth, mm-hmm. but not in the backcountry. I am just, like, all salt all the time. Okay. Is this because you're sweating more, you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I assume that that's what it is. And so my body just permanently craves sodium. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and oh, and potato chips, mm-hmm. even if they're mm-hmm. like crushed all to hell, like potato chips in the outdoors are so great. And I never eat potato chips at home. <laughs> so yeah, just figure out figure out what you like and what you crave when you're outdoors. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, now you have a good excuse, whoever's listening to to go camping and go hiking and um, learn more about this stuff, you know, learn, learn what you prefer. Oh, I wanted to ask you, are you a, a tent bivy or tarp sleeper? Uh, tarp. If it's, if the weather's nice, Mm -hmm. uh, tent in sort of snow and Alpine situations, Mm -hmm. I hate bivvies. I hate them. Mm -hmm. Uh, some people really like them. They're lightweight, 
they pack down really small, but uh, I don't know if you've ever had an MRI before. An MRI is like my worst nightmare, right? Because you're in this uh, tube uh-huh. that you can't escape from and it makes a shit ton of noise. And that's basically the same as a busy <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay. So I hate them. But uh, what my my perfect shelter, actually, which is something that I don't doesn't really fit into any one category that you mentioned, mm-hmm. is uh, a pyramid tent, which is kind of like a cross between a tarp and a tent. I have no idea what this is. Okay. Look it up. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite shelter. Okay. Absolute favorite shelter because it's really roomy. It's really small and it's really light. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Yeah. I, I, um, I never fucked with tents because my threat model was always not animals or even necessarily weather. It was like people, right? Because I'm sleeping people, places that yeah. either I'm not supposed to be or I just don't want anyone to see me anyway um, because people are incredibly cruel to, you know, people who are sleeping places that they should, you know, that aren't in houses mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so I just never fucked with tents because I was like, no, that's the way you get caught, right? Um, and so a bivy to me seems like the best of all worlds, right? Um, but I've only slept in one once. Sure. I I, uh, I just finally got one, and you know I always just slept like out with no shelter or under a tarp, and then if it was going to be raining, and then um, but now I now I have a bivy and I've only gone to sleep with it once, and I'm like, I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet, and I haven't slept in the rain with it yet. I I think I might hate it in the rain, but I don't know, and that's the whole point of it. Yeah, they're really miserable in the rain, at least in my experience, uh, and in the wind. Uh, The other thing that I really don't like is you can't keep anything dry. Like, uh, if you have gear, the thing Mm. I like about tents is, you know, if if the weather's really miserable, you either have a vestibule created by your rain, Mm -hmm. you know, your rain fly that you can put your gear underneath, or you bring your gear into your shelter with you. Uh, With a bivy, you're just shit out of luck man i hope the weather's not going to be bad because you know everything's going to be out in the elements and i find that whenever i sleep in a bivy i wake up to like a totally soaked backpack even with like the 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 cover over the backpack or whatever i use a uh i don't use a a rain fly from a rain cover for my pack i use a like a trash compactor bag inside Mm -hmm. it uh, okay. Which mm-hmm. is way cheaper and way more durable, but then also just allows for the sleeping bag to get totally, so- or the backpack to get totally soaked. Cool. Yeah. Nope. That actually that makes sense about bivvies. I'm so sad. Why did you kill Joy? My my perfect solution to all problems. <laughs> uh, well, now I have a new perfect solution. Is the pyramid I, tent? <laughs> I thought you liked the kill Joy. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. I almost like it's almost like I took it as my last name. Um. All right. Well. Almost. Thank you so much for coming on and and sharing all this knowledge. And um, yeah, I I hope that you're doing as well as you can as things go wild in this world. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell people about it on various social media or even in person. Although right now is not a good time to talk to people in, in person. You should avoid all people all the time because no one should have a pod. If I don't get to have a pod, no one gets to have a pod. But you should tell people about the show um, if you liked it. If you don't like it, you probably didn't make it this far. I don't know, unless you hate listen to podcasts. What a strange thing to do. 
you need to reconsider your life choices. If you want to support the podcast more directly, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Margaret Kiljoy. And I ostensibly put up a zine every month, but actually now I've been so focused on this podcast that I haven't I'm fallen pretty far behind. But I do put music up there and I do put up zines and there's also a whole backlog of like almost 40 zines and a bunch of songs and things like that from my various bands. And uh, there's no behind the scenes content for the podcast. There just isn't. Sorry. Um, I already feel weird doing exclusive content at all. And actually, it's not actually particularly exclusive content. If you live off of less money than I make on Patreon, just message me and I'll get you all of the content there for free. But yeah, um, in particular, I'd like to thank Chris and Nora and Haas the dog, Kirk, Willow, Natalie, Sam, Christopher, Shane, the compound. Thanks just for making this possible. And thanks to you all for listening. And I hope you're doing as well as you can, all things considered. Um, I need to come up with another way to say that instead of all things considered, because I think that some radio people have already taken that particular phrase. Anyway, uh, be well. Thank you.